0: You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com.
1: When I think about time, I am elated and I'm depressed. Elated, in that to try to appreciate time is to touch the fabric of reality. Depressed, in that to try to understand time is to wander in raw speculation. What is it about time that provokes such bipolar emotions? Is the reality of time somehow different from our common perceptions? What is time? I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth is my journey to find out. Pursuing time, I attend a conference on the nature of time. Sponsored by the Foundational Questions Institute, FQXI physicists and cosmologists who push frontiers of knowledge and venture beyond. The conference begins aboard ship, cruising from Norway to Denmark. Sailing is not smooth, and I become dizzy. But whether from the toss of the waves or the talk about time, I cannot tell. I meet the Bertrand Russell Professor of Philosophy at Cambridge, an expert in following Time's Arrow, Hugh Price. Hugh, the most fundamental thing seems to be time, and yet many of my physicist friends tell me that time is not fundamental. It seems to me impossible for something temporal to emerge out of something atemporal.
0: The first thing we need to do is to think a little bit about what we mean by time okay. and it's helpful to make a distinction between three properties of time which seem to be good reasons for thinking are really not part of the physical world they're coming from us and what I have in mind there is the idea that there's a special present moment the idea that there's some kind of flow or passage of time uh, and the idea that time has a fundamental direction what physics gives us is a picture of the so-called block universe, where time is just part of a four-dimensional space-time. When some people say that time is not fundamental, they're talking about the first stuff, so they're just just expressing the view that things like um, the specialness of the present and the flow of time turn out not to be part of physics. I think they're probably right about that. And so if that's what you mean by time, that's one way of giving sense to the claim that time is not fundamental. Now, there's another thing that can be meant by the claim that's not fundamental, which takes for granted the block universe picture of Mm space-time, but looks at theories according to which space-time itself is not something fundamental. It's emerging out of some lower structure. So you would see
1: no fundamental problem with uh, time not being fundamental and with something that gives the feeling of flow of time emerging from something else which was had no time component
0: at all, no sense of time. Uh, I certainly see no problem with the idea that aspects of ordinary time like flow and the specialness of the present are, are somehow subjective. It seems to me that that not only don't i see any problem with that i think the arguments in favor of it are, are, are very strong well wouldn't that affect
1: things like causation we, we we always think of 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 cause and effect
0: as something that has to be arrayed in time i think you're absolutely right uh, but the implication of it is that our notions of causation are themselves to some extent subjective so that uh, our sense that that causation runs from the past to the future is at least in to some degree a result of our own temporal perspectives as agents, as creatures, manipulating things in the world in order to achieve ends which are more satisfactory than uh, other outcomes. I think the right approach uh, as a philosopher is to look at the kind of picture that physics is giving us about time, that's the the four-dimensional block universe kind of picture, and then ask how do we fit our ordinary notions of causation into that? In particular, how do we f- fit in the so-called arrow of causation, the difference between cause and effect, and its alignment with, with the, the, the past-future arrow? Um, and I think the best answer to, to those questions is to accept that there's a subjective ingredient in our notion of causation too, so that, in a sense, we're projecting onto the world the temporal perspective that we have as agents. <laughs>
1: I cannot overstate the significance of Hugh's radical claim. It's a fascinating question. Because we are within time, we are misled by a human perspective, which gives false import to the present moment, false feeling to the flow or passage of time, and false sense to a necessary direction of time. What about our ordinary notions of causation She was right to ask. Subjective, he says, like our sense of time, which is consistent, but convincing. Cause as subjective does not win my confidence. Perhaps I should try to be persuaded that my sense of time is an illusion. The conference continues in Copenhagen the city that gave its name to a probabilistic interpretation of quantum physics. I pursue this time-as-illusion vision, a timeless physics, with one of its chief proponents, author of The End of Time, Julian Barber.
2: Time as we experience is definitely related to changes that we experience. The way I like to put it is we see as it were, a succession of snapshots of seemingly passing continuously one into each other. If one just took photographs, as I say, and there's nothing changed in in the photograph, you can't say whether time has passed. Now, as people studied things more, uh, bit by bit notions of time, people started to measure time and to actually successfully make clocks and things like that. And the really major change came with Isaac Newton who formulated laws of motion, which still work extraordinarily well to this day. And that explains, actually, why we're able to keep appointments. Because it does ultimately explain why watchmakers can make watches which march in step. Mm -hmm. But what is really happening, they're not marching in step with time, they're marching in step with each other. That's the key thing. And this was the fantastic discovery that, that, that Newton made. Mm-hmm. Utterly simple laws he was able to formulate which capture that perfectly. He confused the issue, I believe, by saying that in addition to these correlations <laughs> uh-huh. between the watches, there is this so. mysterious invisible time. <laughs> but this is also very deep-rooted in psychology. Okay, take it forward from Newton, then what? There were two really great theories in the 20th century. The first was Einstein's general theory of relativity, where he made time dependent upon what matter is doing. If matter does something different, time flows differently. And then 10 years later about, quantum mechanics was discovered. Now in quantum mechanics, that has a good old-fashioned Newtonian absolute time. And it's very mysterious because it's quite external to everything else which is going on in quantum mechanics. So this, is, this has always disturbed people. John Wheeler is the man who coined the expression black hole, but he was desperately keen to understand how these two theories would be put together. So he kept on pushing Bryce DeWitt to find the equation which would describe it, And when DeWitt found this equation, he uh, was very disconcerted to find that time had disappeared from it altogether. And on the face of it, it seemed that there was no time at all. It was just a completely static universe. It was as if there were lots of possible configurations of the universe which don't change. In fact, all possible configurations that that universe could have are, so to speak, there and attached to them is a number which gives a probability. Now, this is all very mysterious because the way I try and explain it is if there was a huge bag with all these snapshots in there, but some of them are much more common than other ones. And if you put your hand in, you'll draw out one more probably than others. And then, in a flash, an idea came to me, it must be in the structure of the configurations that get a high probability. Now, we know we live in a very highly structured universe, mm-hmm. and then I thought of this wonderful thing that happened in geology. That's what I call a time capsule, those, those, that record in rocks. Now, there's another marvellous time capsule here in my head. I've got all my memories there. So, first of all, my knowledge of the past relies on two things. First of all, if I move my hand like that, I see my hand both here and here at the same time, and the motion, mm-hmm. and that tells me, that suggests to me that motion is real. And then the only other evidence I have is the coherence of my memories and seeing you nod when I say something, and you're obviously recalling what I said before. This is all in, 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 in standard terms. But that must mean that there's a fantastic time capsule sitting inside my head. And in fact, the whole of science is telling the same story, that there was a big bang, which started in a very special way. It evolved in accordance with laws and created all these records around us. So that, I think, is why we believe in time and history.
1: But is this good physics or group fad? Does Julian's time capsule unmask a mental module that constructs a feeling of time? I'm still a skeptic. Could what seems so obvious be so wrong? My physicist friends tell me to consider time as I consider space, since space-time, according to Einstein, is in deep reality unified. I'm game to get what still seems, well, a bit absurd, so I go after the dimensionality of time. Still at the Time Conference, I ask an expert in the philosophical foundations of physics, Columbia professor David Albert. David, in trying to understand the nature of time, I'm told that we should consider time in a spatial sense, the so-called
3: spatialization of time. So what does it mean? That is the way time appears in physics is as another component in the address of an event. What physics aspires to tell you is how events are distributed over different values of these spatial and temporal axes. What is missing from this metaphysical framework from which physics starts out are these notions of flow, these notions of passage, these notions of becoming, so on and so forth. Which to
1: normal people is time. Which which (laughs) to normal
3: people certainly is time. The trouble is that if you try to formalize these notions so that they're fit to do jobs in a discourse that you want to be extremely clear and extremely explicit and extremely logical, It's hard to know how to do that. People talk about time flowing. A common question that gets asked of such people is, how fast is it flowing? And, you know, maybe the normal answer is, I don't know, one second per second. And the next question is, gee, and what would it be like if it were flowing two seconds per second instead of one second per second? It's not even clear what that means, okay? The claim that time is flowing at one second per second doesn't have the feel of a claim about how the world is. It has the feel of something that's true by definition. Mm -hmm. It's like saying a bachelor is an unmarried male or, or, or something like that. And what physics has always been about since its beginnings was to give an account of the tracks that material bodies make through this four-dimensional arena okay through this spatiotemporal arena there are all sorts of senses in which einsteinian relativity made that spatialization more vivid more explicitly geometrical so on and so forth but since the beginnings of the scientific revolution, um, since Galileo, since Newton, we've been dealing with time as a parameter, okay? And we haven't been able to make fundamental metaphysical sense of talk, of time's flow, of time's passage. This is talk that physics needs to account for in the way that physics accounts for the fact that, say, Uh, If you put a pencil in a glass of water, the pencil appears to be bent, Mm -hmm. Um, even though it isn't. Science, whenever it encounters something puzzling, always has two options, okay? It has, it has the option of explaining it, and it has the option of explaining it away, okay? Mm-hmm. It's the second strategy of explaining it away that we apply to the bent appearance of a pencil in a glass of water, and it's the second strategy of explaining it away that we apply to our sensation um, or, or to our temptation to use words like passage and flow to describe our experience of time.
1: I admit that if I stick with my common perception of time, I make no progress. Time is time, and it flows as it feels. The only alternative is to dive deeply into time, which requires Einstein's relativity, unifying time with space, giving time a spatialization. It also requires quantum physics, The Fundamental Laws of How the micro world Works. To check out the latter, I go to Los Angeles to meet an expert in quantum reality and non-local aspects of time, physicist Jeff
4: Tolickson. So, in classical physics, we know that if you know the state of the universe at one time, every other later time is not independent of that state. They're all completely slaved, in a sense, Mm -hmm. because the theory is deterministic. It's really just like a big machine. It's just a, a, a clockwork, that there's no, you know, there's no freedom. However, in quantum mechanics, in principle, we cannot know more than what is the basic description, which is given by the wave function, even for a single particle. Even if you know everything that can be known about a, a single particle, or for the universe for that matter, you cannot predict the future, like we could do in, in classical physics. So this allows one to say that the most basic description of a particle, of a quantum particle, allows you to say that you have two boundary conditions, the past of that particle and its future. So if you're asking what is the nature of the the properties of the particle during the time between its past and its future, it turns out that the past and the future play an equal role on an equal footing. And so now when you're asking about the nature of time, as you can kind of see, this is totally different from what happens in classical physics. So if you're asking about the nature of the time on a quantum mechanical level, you have time going in both directions. And in a sense, the the way the properties of the quantum world show up, you have to they, uh, sort of kiss in the present, so to speak.
1: So you're claiming that the uh, movement from the past to the present is Equal to the movement from
4: the future
1: to the present. That's right.
4: Our view of the nature of time came out from ancient times. Parmenides, in particular, I believe, um, which he said the way we should think about the universe is that the universe, you know, exists with unique objects which simply change their state in time, but it's the same object from one moment to the next. Right. That's. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just sort of, we've accepted this way of thinking about the universe. However, around the same time in the ancient Greeks, there was a very different way of thinking about the nature of time, which just didn't catch on. And this is from Heraclides. He said, you never bathe twice in the same river. And one way of interpreting that is that, in fact, each moment of time, it's not the same universe. It's not the same object as it was a second ago or 100 years ago. But literally, each moment of time is like a new universe. Is it something completely new? It gets reborn again and again. And so one might ask, is it possible to reformulate our basic physics in a way that's consistent with that idea? The only way you could do it, if you want to have such a picture, is to use the the time-symmetric approach where the future plays as much a role in the present as as the past. And so using that, literally every moment It's like recreating the universe again and again and again. Jeff
1: makes the extraordinary claim that in the quantum world of fields and forces, past and future make equal claims on causing or affecting the present. For past and future to kiss in the present is a nice metaphor, but what could this mean? Would the universe then have some sort of teleological foundations? Where what happens later somehow generates what happens before? Where effects can influence causes? What could be more bizarre? Even if quantum theory suggests uncanny paths of causation, not every physicist agrees that time is not fundamental. I go to Cambridge to meet John Polkinghorne, a quantum physicist who became an Anglican priest. John believes that the universe is truly one of becoming, that the flow and direction of time are real and relentless. But is this his physics or his theology? Well, as a physicist, I think
5: there's no reason to deny the reality of time. Some people think that special relativity, for example, has put that in doubt. Different observers judge simultaneity in different ways. If observer number one thinks that events A and B are the same time, observer number two, that B is before A, and observer number three, A is before B, you say, well, gosh, time must be, therefore, uh, an illusion. I think that's a mistaken argument. It's a mistaken argument because no observer has knowledge of a distant event or the simultaneity of different events until they are unambiguously in that observer's past. And therefore, that argument can... which is entirely focused on the way observers describe the past, organise their description of the past, cannot establish the reality of the awaiting future. So I don't think the block universe, this total package deal of space and time together, is correct. I think we live in a world of unfolding, becoming. and I think that is perfectly consistent with all that science can tell, tell us about it.
1: If space and time emerge from something more fundamental, what would that do to the well, fundamental th- nature of time?
5: I don't think it would remove the fundamental nature of time. I mean, after all, matter and energy emerge in the same sort of thing. We don't think that they're illusions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not made of illusions uh, uh, ourselves.
1: In trying to understand time, another way to look at this would be from a theological point of view, right. particularly from the concept of, of God. And if there is a God, how does God experience time, if at all? The classical view was that God saw the whole of creation all at
5: once. In other words, actually, in scientific terms, God saw the block universe, the space-time continuum in, in that sense. But I don't think that's right. I think we live in a world of true becoming, That is to say that uh, the future is not there already waiting for us. We make it or help to make it as as we go along. And if that's correct about the nature of the world, I think it's also obviously theologically correct that God knows things truly. That's to say knows them as they actually are. And that means, I think, that God will not only know in an unfolding universe, not only know that events are successive, but will know them according to their natures, which means that God will know them in their succession. If that's the case, then there must be a genuine engagement of God with time. Of course, God is not enthralled to time. There must be a timeless, eternal, unchanging aspect of God, God's steadfast faithfulness and so on. But I believe that when God brought into being a universe endowed with time, endowed with becoming, God, as an act of divine self-limitation in a way, chose to know that world according to its nature in its becomingness. Therefore, I think that God, even God, does not yet know the future. And that's not an imperfection in God. God knows everything that can be known, but the future is not yet there to be
1: known. So integrating the two from a physics point of view and from a theological point of view, what is the nature of time?
5: You could either, from the physics point of view, believe in the block universe, as in fact, for example, Einstein did, or in a world of becoming that I've been trying to describe. And that tells us that physics by itself... So it constrains how we think about time, does not totally determine how we think about time. There are, if you like, they can be theological reasons indeed, which settle whether we go for the block universe or whether we go for an unfolding world.
1: So time is not what it seems. Time is not a simple unity without parts, the ever existing stage on which events are played. Time has various parts or features or elements that may work together and appear seamless, but are not required to do so. What are these parts of time? Time has flow, movement like a river. Time has direction, always proceeding forward into the future. Time has order, one thing after another. Time has duration, a measurable period between events. Time has a privileged present, only now is real. Time has a dimension, something like space. The question is whether these parts are more constructs of human brains than actual realities of the physical world. The challenge is that physics supports a block universe, a four-dimension structure where time is like space, where every event has its own coordinate or address in space-time, so that future and past are no less real than the present. The alternative is that the present is indeed super-special, and the deep nature of reality is one of becoming. I cannot decide, but if I ignore time, I am not closer to truth.